Hello, and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Bibber, NFL editor for SB Nation. With me, as always, are Danny Kelly and Stephen White. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing awesome. Excellent. Well, are, you guys, are you all ready for a little pro football talk? It's not trademark, so we can technically say that. So. <laughs> we do have a game tonight. It's Thursday night, I know. people. Nobody wants to forget about Thursday night football, especially its biggest fans, Richard Sherman and, and <laughs> other players out there. And I, I kind of understand where they're coming from, I, I hate to say. But this is kind of like, this has, a, the, like, has the potential not to be a stinker. And, I mean, it has the potential to be right. really a, a big turd, too. But it's Seattle, San Francisco. They're at San Francisco, correct? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's been a good rivalry in the past, but I don't think people were expecting much of the rivalry this year, given what happened to San Francisco in the offseason. And now you've got a situation where Seattle's coming in this game trying to get back to 500. So it's not like the Seahawks are really... Not know, even. They're trying to get back to one game to 500. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, they're 2-4 and four right now, so it's really a must-win. I mean, you know, you hate throwing around that word, but their backs are against the wall at this point. If they want to make the playoffs, they have to win tonight, and so... Um, it's a big game for them. There's a lot on the line for both teams, I think. So it's a. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think it could be a better game than a lot of Thursday night games are, just because of the implications from you know for both teams. Or that toilet bowl we saw on Monday night with the Giants and the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I it mean, it seems like know, with the primetime games, you got you got three primetime games in the week. You got Thursday, Sunday night, and Monday night. You're gonna get one good one i think out of the three it seems like you know just kind of having done this from an editorial standpoint now for a few years it seems like there's always one of the night games the primetime games that's either a good game or it's got like a crazy wild finish or something like that right and then you get like the other two that are just like oh my gosh (laughs) somebody give me some soda or something because i can't stay awake like this thing's still on yeah exactly steven i want to ask you is a you know because seven weeks ago I think we all would have looked at this game and thought man slam dunk for the Seahawks here, but I don't know that anymore. What do you think going into this? Yeah, I kind of think it is a slam dunk though. Still, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I still do. Uh, they've had some issues basically in the late part of the last couple of games. Uh, they were up uh, both times, and they they let leads get away from them, and it's. You look in, and everybody's talking about the defense, and that's true. Um, the defense gave up points. Uh, they gave up the big touchdown to Greg Olson last week. Uh, and so you're not used to seeing that from the Seattle Seahawks defense, true enough. But another problem is that the offense seems to be going, I don't know if they're going very conservative or, or, or what, but about in like the second half of the third quarter in both of those games, the offense all of a sudden couldn't make any first downs. They're getting three and outs and stuff, and then the defense has got to go back right back on the field. And so it's kind of been a team effort in these losses. Uh, but you look at the San Francisco 49ers, and they did bounce back a little bit last week, but they are still pretty bad. Um, you know, their offense just looks discombobulated. Nothing about their offense, to me, you know, seems like they have an actual plan during the games, they're just kind of, you know, picking plays out of a hat and let's see if it'll work. Uh, their defense has played better than I think most, most of us expected them to. Navarro Bowman has been a beast. It looks like he hasn't missed a step at all. But uh, still, like when they need a big pass rush, they've been getting some, some pressure. But when they really need it, like on third and long, I don't think they're really going to, you know, get to uh, – Russell, like, uh, the way some of these other teams have, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. So um, I think there's a lot of reasons to think, especially with what's on the line. Um, you know, the, the expectation, expectation level in Seattle is a lot different from what's in San Francisco right now. Yeah. For this, at least. You know, maybe they, because they've kind of, you know, played a little better on defense than people thought they would. Uh, maybe, you know, in, in the coming years, uh, you can see them bouncing back for this. But for this year... Nobody really saw the 49ers making the playoffs anyway. We, we kind of thought the, the Seahawks might actually contend for a championship again, especially with the addition of uh, Jimmy Graham and having pretty much all their core players back. So uh, this has been, I'm sure, uh, a big blow to them and their ego. 
And they know, they got to know that if they lose tonight, you know, <laughs> you can go ahead and start making your, your after regular season plans, start making your, you know, booking your travel and stuff for the, for the day after yeah. the last game of the season because you're not going anywhere. It's just the way it is, especially when you have a strong team like the Arizona Cardinals in your division as well. Uh, it was already going to be hard, you know, because the Cardinals are playing well. And now you're behind an eight ball at two and four. I think we're going to see probably the best total effort, total team effort by the Seahawks tonight. And it does not hurt that they always seem to get up for the 49ers anyway and yeah. punch them. So uh, I think that, you know, while this game has a lot of drama surrounding it, I, I, I kind of think it, it won't be much of a contest tonight. Yeah, well, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, you're, it sounds like you're looking for reassurance wherever you can get here about this. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Hey, yeah. oh, well, let me ask, let me turn this back to you, Danny. I want to ask you something about Seattle's offense because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know people, you know, there's sort of been, there's always sort of that irrational, people don't like Russell Wilson because he's not a traditional pocket passer, the, the, the Priscoification of Russell Wilson, so to speak, here. <laughs> yeah. But, but, like, you know, there is – it does seem like there's something going on with that offense. And I know part of it is, you know, you can look at the offensive line and just see how objectively terrible it is as a group. Yeah. But yeah. it also seems like maybe you're not seeing him as do as much. Like, when you keep him inside the pocket now, and even when he has time to throw, he's not making his throws. There's something going on with that offense. And, and I, I can't yeah. really kind of put my finger on what it is, so I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there's something to that, I think. Um, and it's really not anything new, I don't think. Like, he's kind of had that issue before where his first instinct is to escape rather than do what, like, a normal pocket quarterback would do. When you have, a, when you have pressure from the edge and you, and, and you see it coming, you step up, you keep your eyes downfield, and you either throw the ball or you, like, throw it away, right? Right. Um, and he, his instinct has always been, if he sees pressure coming from the outside, like run, you know, like escape. Mm-hmm. Um, or in, the, in some cases this year, what he'll do is he'll run up the field rather than like, you know, stepping forward a few steps like you'd see like Drew Brees do. Mm-hmm. He'll just take off forward. And that's actually what teams have been trying to get him to do because then they collapse on the inside. And you've seen him try to run straight forward through the pocket like probably 15 times this year and just get tackled like for a one-yard gain. Um, so it doesn't go for a sack, um, but it's still a sack in effect. And I mean, that's not even counting the fricking, he's already been sacked. I think, uh, I can't remember what the number is, but he's on pace for 20 or for 69 sacks this year, which would be like 26 times. Uh, Yeah. So 26 times in six games last year, he was sacked 42 times and we thought the line sucked last year. (laughs) Um, so there's something, yeah, like, one, the offensive line is really bad. Like you said, it's objectively bad. Like, they're missing one-on-one blocks, like, half the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, one out of every two snaps, you're seeing some run, some guy run up the field, like, you know, with a line, an offensive lineman chasing him from behind. Um, <laughs> and so that, you know, that's also probably part of the reason Wilson, you know, has had some issues stepping up and, and – and, you know, developing in that area where, you know, I think they really want him to, and that's been a focus for him to like, you know, be more of a pocket passer, quote pocket passer. Mm -hmm. But I think right now, you know, for good reason, he's a little skittish about that. um, Just because of the amount of times that we're seeing like free rushers just come in his face. Like, like his guards are just blowing blocks, like within like half a second and he's having to escape with, you know, like, even before he really gets into his progression, even before he like gets into his drop, like he's having to take off. So um, I think it's partly on him just, and, and it's like a trust issue. Like, you know, he's not trusting that he's going to have the protection to do like the, those nuanced, like subtle movements in the pocket, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, the offensive line has just been terrible. So I think that the blame kind of goes around to both of them, but I, I do think that he shares some of the blame in that. Um, you know, at some point he's just going to have to just do it. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's tough though. Well, it seems like Jimmy Graham had a, be- a much better week last week too. Yeah. And that's huge. You know, I mean, that seems can, like a positive step. Yeah, I definitely, you know, that was definitely encouraging. And I, I said on Twitter after the game, like, man, there were so many like encouraging things about the Panther game until the fourth quarter when it's like all that stuff gets drunk. <laughs> like, God damn it. Now it's like. <laughs> 
their defense sucks. It's, like, because in the first three quarters, on the whole year, in fact, the Seahawks defense has been pretty good. I think, uh, you know, they, there's been moments where they really do look like the dominant like team that they've been over the last couple of years on defense, and then like in the fourth quarter, they're just lost. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why. I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but I think you know uh, one of. The, but my point is, yeah, the Jimmy Graham thing was encouraging last week. He became more involved in like the scramble drill stuff that the Seahawks do all the time, um, which is big because that's like a big part of their offense, and he hasn't really done much in that area. You know, because like we talked about this, like in New Orleans, you know, he comes out of his break and the ball is already in the air, like coming at his head, right? Yeah. And in Seattle, if that doesn't happen, you know, then you're supposed to what what's called the scramble rules. And so, like, once Wilson gets out of the pocket, you're supposed to do something based on where you are on the field or what your route is. And so he's starting to kind of get a feel for that. Um, and a couple of his big plays last week were on those scramble plays where he just improvised down the field. It's actually not improvisation. It's, it's planned improvisation. Um, and so that was really good to see because that, that could be, like, a really big deal for the Seahawks going down, down the line. Um, but again, like like uh, Steven said, in the fourth quarter, they're just getting three and outs. They're not being able to run the ball. Russell Wilson's really bad on third down. Um, just nothing happening on offense in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and that's strange. I mean, I, I guess, you know, that it would just be the fourth quarter of all quarters, not... Yeah, and they're, they're a team that over the years, you know, obviously they've won a lot of games over the last three years, and generally speaking they've been known as a team that can put a team away in the fourth quarter like they run the ball yeah. and run run the clock out like they have they've had several like you know signature games where they literally like take the ball with nine minutes left and like run the clock out you mm-hmm. know so um it's a little odd and, and you know it's definitely concerning um that they can't string together any first downs in the fourth quarter and, that, and that's a big reason you know why the defense has collapsed is because you know, they've just gotten, you know, more chances, more like the offensive teams have gotten more chances to, to throw it on them. And um, so it, it, it really is like, you know, a, it, it is a full team effort in, in, in what's going on. Like people always want to blame the defense or the offense, but I think it's really both. A team effort at <laughs> unsuccessfully winning the fourth quarter. Right. It must be, it's all that drag racing they're not doing there. The teams, the teams. Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> I love that everybody like that night that that happened. I was looking at it. I thought I saw drag racing in my timeline, and then like I look. Oh, it's from TMZ. Yeah, and then but like of course everybody, everybody else was like they were drag racing according to TMZ. It's like since when is according to TMZ a viable thing to put in anything you write? I mean, sometimes I understand, but you know. Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson, they, yeah. they, they, they got all their credibility off the one and 100th time they, they report something and then people act like, well, no, they, they're really legitimate now. Yeah. I, I hate that shit. Oh, yeah. But, well, you know, and it's because they got the Ray, you know, they paid to get the Ray Rice video from the of course. defunct casino. So now they're experts in the, the sports field, too, you know, so it's. You know, yeah, what? It's just it's bullshit. Yeah, but it's, it's fine. It's broken I mean, clock, you know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And the cops even said it didn't happen. So I, mean, I know. Well, and it's like Brian so. said in Slack that night. He's like, you know, that happened like literally right outside the door from where the media is. Right, it's no, it's nowhere for you for you to drag race. Yeah, it's a driveway if you wanted to. <laughs> But but that didn't stop people from jumping on it. So you know, no, it sure did. And people just like were so quick to buy it and like wanted to like. It's like they wanted to believe that because like you know exactly. Don't let exactly. the narrative stand in the way of the truth. The next day after the police report says you know mentions nothing about drag racing, some racing uh, VP for like NHRC whatever that, whatever that is. That's Terry Blunt. Uh, he used to be the Seahawks beat reporter. Right, he sends out a tweet talking about, uh, you know, Marshawn and, and, and Fred can come and, and, and drag race legally on one of our tracks oh, you know, whenever they want to. Get yeah. the fuck out of here. It's <laughs> uh. so, and what's crazy about it is like, you wrote, like, okay, the police said that, the team said that, everybody said that, and then like, 
we had that, like, I was the headline for, like, the email that morning. And, like, I still had people popping up my time, like, oh, okay, right. whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay. We're, we're to, that's what we're doing. Right. And the police are, too, because the police are notorious for covering up stuff like drag racing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it's not like they had a player just a week ago get in trouble for, you know, getting in a car accident. Oh. Yeah. Come on. You know? They're out of control. They're out of control. That was, I remember people saying that. What is happening with this team? No, there were so many tweets like, oh, Pete's lost his team or, you know. <laughs> yeah, the lost team. It's like, remember, the, it was, it's, I always, it's the Patriots way thing. It always comes back to the, the Aaron Hernandez gets arrested and the Patriot way is dead. <laughs> the Patriots will never win another, have another winning season as long as they have, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> now the Seahawks are a circus though I mean there's always something there's always something happening yeah it's interesting too and and for a team on the west coast like that you know it's not like you expect that for the Jets because they're right there it's New York they're in the big media market and even Washington it's like well Washington's perpetually a zoo it's a huge NFL media market and like anything that happens is going to be amplified no matter what there and then like and then, like, you have people in Carolina that are just tremendously upset. It's like, why don't we ever get any press? It's like, I, I, I don't know. We try. I mean, there's good stories going on. <laughs> don't be careful what you wish for. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. what you want to say. It's like, would you rather people be talking about Cam Newton's smile again? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Or how mature he is now that he came up and talked to a senior writer at the at training camp. <laughs> sure. uh, speaking of maturity and teams in the spotlight this week. Um, This kind of comes back to something you wrote yesterday, Stephen, that I I really enjoyed reading. Um, So it's always a little bit of a red flag when you have players in the media criticizing what their coaches are doing. And you had that this week with the Buffalo Bills. You had two of their most preeminent defensive linemen in Buffalo and in the league, really. Mario Williams, Marcel Darius, come out questioning what was going on with the defensive calls in Buffalo. And... Lo and behold, they ha- they you know there's always the tendency to to shrug that off, uh, but lo and behold, uh, Stephen, they had a pretty good point, didn't they? They absolutely did, and, and the thing of it is, is you know just last week, Sammy Watkins, a receiver for the Bills, had also called out the offensive staff for not getting him the football, and, and at that time, I, you know, I felt like, man, this is really poor timing. Y'all just won a game, you've been hurt, didn't even play in the previous game. But he was right, too. You know, they yeah. hadn't been throwing him the football nearly enough. Now, they did try to target him against uh, uh, the Bengals, and he did get more catches, but uh, he got hurt again. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, yeah, take the bad with way. the good. You know, maybe they're not targeting you so much because they don't want you to get hurt. But he was right. And these guys, Marcel Darius and, and Mario Williams, were also 100% correct. And you almost forget <laughs> that this is one of the maybe the one of the only teams that will ever have two one hundred million dollars defensive linemen. I mean, literally, both of those guys signed contracts for at least on paper more than a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So it's worth listening to them since they take up that much of your cap space going forward. And they're a hundred percent right. I actually went further. It's not just their primary uh, gripe was that uh, uh, Rex Ryan had them dropping a lot. Uh, against the Bengals and against other teams as well. Uh, and and they're, they're right about that, but I took it further than that. What it really is is that Rex Ryan is holding on a little bit too hard to his 3-4 roots. Yeah. And, and I'm, what I mean by that is this is a team that's built around four defensive linemen. Marcel Darius, Mario Williams, Kyle Williams, and Jerry Hughes. All of those guys are making really good money, and all those guys can play their ass off. All of them are primarily, you know, they can play the run too, don't get me wrong, but they're very good pass rushers. And so this is a team built, if for no other reason, by who they spent money on around getting a pass rush with four rushers, okay? And you can do that with them. You, you don't have to blitz. You really don't. I don't know of a team that they had to blitz all year. Now, they probably could have blitzed uh, uh, the New England Patriots a little bit more than they did, but they didn't really have to. The problem that game was more so the coverage than the pass rush. They, they didn't have an opportunity. Brady was getting the ball out of his hand so fast. 
But in this game against the Bengals, man, they didn't even get a chance. You know, half the time you got Mario Williams standing up and dropping. The other half you got Jerry Hughes standing up and dropping. And even when you weren't dropping, even when these guys weren't dropping, now they're in three, four uh, uh, alignments. So you got Mario Williams head up on the offensive tackle. And look, Mario Williams, I wrote in, in the piece, he's a human cheat code, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't see guys six six and almost 300 pounds that can run as fast as he can and, and do all the things he can athletically. So it's not that he can't two-gap offensive tackle, obviously. But why would you want to do that to a guy you paid $100 million to be a pass rusher for? <laughs> and then you got, you know, Jerry Hughes, who's much smaller, plays with a lot of heart, but you got him trying to two-gap half the time. And, and, and you don't even look and, and, and notice that you got either Marcel Darius or Kyle Williams head up on the center on those plays. So you got two of your four starting defense alignment, head up, and in a bad situation when it comes to pass rush, and one of them probably standing up and maybe dropping on the play. That doesn't make any sense for as much money as they've invested in those guys, especially when you look around the rest of the team and it's not a whole bunch of superstars elsewhere on that team. Let your best guys do what they do best. And I can't really understand why Rick Ryan would kind of put a, 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 a shackles on them that way and take away from, from what they do best. It's only hurting his chances to win. Yeah. And it, it didn't look that way. The first game against the Colts, man, I was so excited. I wanted to see exactly what he could do with this team. And, man, they were blitzing. They were rushing. They had it going. They made Andrew, look, Andrew Luck look positively pedestrian in that game. And I thought we were just going to see that week after week after week. He's backed off. He's not blitzing now. He's got these guys lined up like a 3-4 for some reason. I just don't know what's going on with Rex Ryan right now. He needs to find his own identity and then share it with the team so they can all be on the same page because it's obvious right now that especially when you got guys coming out on the record, you know, normally we're used to this being some anonymous source close to this guy or close to that guy. No, Mario Williams put his name on it right after the game. (laughs) And the, 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 uh, when they flew to London, when they got there, Marcel Day was like, hold up. He said that, but let me go ahead and, and, and say the same thing and reiterate it on the record. Yeah. So when you got three different guys on the record, ain't they're not afraid. They're going on the record and saying the coaching staff is, is fucking up right now, and they're 100% correct. Well, the coaching staff needs to, to do some soul searching and get on the same page with their players. Yeah, and it's kind of against type, too. For I mean, not necessarily against type because, it's, you know, like you said, with his roots in the 3-4 like that. But it's like, well, here they are last week with an offense that looks a lot more like the ones, you know, the, the worst years he had in New York with the Jets. You've got E.J. Manuel starting because Tyrod Taylor's hurt. I mean, Sammy Watkins was back. But, you know, the injuries and stuff they had. Now you've got this week, you've got a situation they're going into this game against the Jaguars in London. Tyrod Taylor's out. Sammy Watkins is out. It's just... You know, it looks like they're going to need their defense more than anything to help them win that game. And then they, you, you pull stuff like that and take any chance you have away. It just doesn't, you know. And now here the Bills are at three and three when it's a season where they really probably could be, you know, two wins better than, or at least you know they could at least be four and three going into this game against Jacksonville. And now it's a game against Jacksonville, and it's not exactly you know an open and shut case anymore. As bad as Jacksonville is. That's... <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was about to say, I'm not sure about that. Jacksonville is just pretty bad. They're All not right, Jacksonville's too, pretty bad. But Jacksonville is pretty bad. But, 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 but you make a, a good case for it, man, because you're not really sure. Even if you think they're going to win, and I do, it, they probably still won't be nearly as dominant as they should be. Yeah. And that's because, like I said, I mean, when, when the players and the coaches are not on the same page, and look, you don't have to hold hands and sing Kumbaya every day, but everybody <laughs> should be working towards the same goal and have the same kind of vision of what needs to happen in mind. And at the very least, Rex Ryan has done a poor job of explaining to his players why he's doing the things he's doing, because if he had done a better job, even if they didn't like it, I don't think they'd be running to the media to, to you know, yeah. uh, complain this early in the season. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because it's been the opposite on offense. I mean, they've, Greg Roman's there, and he's, they've really kind of, and I know part of that is probably because Rex is, you know, he's not, his background isn't in offense per se. But, 
you know, they've let those guys play, especially the quarterback, Taylor. They've let them play a style of offense that suits his skills. Instead of like, well, we're going to take Tyrod Taylor, we're going to turn try to make him into a guy that stands in the pockets and tries to hit receivers on 30-yard out routes. <laughs> you know, which, you know, that, it's not going to work. But, you know, they've done that with offense, and here they are with defense with the square pegs and round holes approach already. That's an interesting point. It's kind of weird, too, because Rex Ryan is like a – he's known as like a player's coach. Like, why would these guys come out in the media? Um, you know what I mean? Because it's like typically with a player's coach, you don't want to bring heat down on the guy because you love him or whatever. And so it's just a little bit of an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And I wonder, too, is like, you know, like Steven said, you've got the – in New York, all his players were a 3-4 defense. They were 3-4 players. They were going to be kind of doing the same thing from week to week. It wasn't going to be, you know, trying to make a 4-3 four-man front out of a 3-4 front. And and it was – and, you know, he took them to two AFC championship games, too. I mean, so you had a little bit of credibility in the bank there. And now you're in Buffalo. You don't necessarily have that. Yeah. But, you know, it'll be interesting. Um, There's another kind of interesting. We talked about the offensive injuries, but there's another offensive injury we haven't mentioned yet, and that's the the situation with Percy Harvin right now. Officially, he's not – he didn't make the trip to London because of personal reasons, which I at first had read as, oh, I bet he couldn't get a passport. And I was like, welcome to the club, my man. Welcome to the club. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not it. It it sounds like it might be – he might be considering retirement because of hip hip surgery, hip injury, his nagging hip injury that he's had over his career. Yeah. And he's like – People, when they, you know, talked about him in Seattle, they talked about how he, like, track athletes, if they're not, you know, if they're not right, like, physically, they, for whatever reason, they've been, like, taught their whole life, like, not to go, not to run, um, not to make it worse, you know? So, like, if you hear, if you feel, like, a little, you know, impingement or whatever, like, shut it down. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, like, the high, highly tuned sports car engine or whatever, like, metaphor um, I think that's kind of like what's gone on with Harvin. He in Seattle when he had the hip injury, you know, the Seahawks actually I think, based on reports and everything, wanted him to play that year that he sat out because they thought he could play through it. But he didn't want to make it any worse, so he got like second opinions and like essentially made the decision himself to like not play. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the beginning of kind of a rift I think between him and the team, and and that's kind of like what started it. And, you know, because he first showed up in Seattle and after like three training camp practices, it was like, oh, he's injured and he's gone for the year. Um, yeah. After so, Seattle invested a pretty big, you know, yeah. a first round pick in him too. Yeah, they traded a first round pick, then they gave him like this huge contract that was like 11 mil per year. Um, you know, so it was like a big deal. And, and uh, then they had to shut him down immediately. And he kind of was like away from the team the whole time. And, um, you know, obviously that caused like, you know, some issues and everything. And I don't know, it, it was, uh, he, he's an interesting guy, obviously. And, and his track record kind of speaks for itself in terms of he's basically alienated himself from every team he's been a part of going back into high school. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe except for the jets, but they didn't resign him. So maybe they did, maybe he did alienate himself there too. Um, Man, yeah, because it was—it's funny how quickly the story changes. Because you know, like in the preseason and early the early season, he's talking about how finally I found a team that really understands me and really you know takes care of me. And then like a month and a half later, he's he's like a gay wall and like you know no one knows where he is and he's missing games. So uh, I, I can understand how Bills fans might feel right now. You think you this know, is, the- go ahead, Steven. The really weird thing about that, though, is that he's su- when he's on the field, he's such a tough player. Right. You know, he, he's a guy that in Minnesota was lining up and doing the shit that we get on the, the rails about, you know, running Tavon Austin uh, inside the tackles. That's the shit he actually was doing yeah. when, on a pre- pretty regular basis for the Vikings. And, and they're about the same size, I want to say. And, you know, he makes the tough catches and stuff like that. So it's kind of weird that uh, – you know, and who knows the magnitude of the injury? Evidently, it's something that 
the injury itself was going to knock him out for a couple of games or whatever. But it's kind of weird that the, the, the contrast between how he plays on the field during the games and how kind of, you know, uh, when he's injured off the field and dealing with the injuries and stuff, it's affected him so much. Uh, mm-hmm. To the point where he's he's maybe considering retirement. I know uh, Schefter came out and said he's not re- considering retirement. Who knows what the deal really is? But obviously, it's affecting him to some extent uh, that he couldn't even travel with the team uh, to a game that they really need to win. Yeah. So um, I think it says a lot, though, that they're letting him work this out evidently. You know, I, I, they haven't said anything about suspending him or what have you. They're letting him, you know, wherever he's at. I know that uh, Rex Ryan said he didn't know where he was at, but I'm not exactly sure the context of that. I'm yeah. not sure if he didn't know physically where he's at yeah. or if he didn't know, um, you know, <laughs> where he's at in the whole wide world. Like, you know, where's the ball? <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of want to lean towards him saying he didn't know, you know, how good or how bad the hip was. Right. But you just never know because of this crazy history that this kid has. You know, like you said, alienating people everywhere he's pretty much been, except for Rex Ryan, who brought him from the Jets to the Bill. So yeah. uh, Rex Ryan saw something in him, and that's why I kind of felt like maybe he would want to repay Rex Ryan with the a good season or two, but maybe his body is just that bad. I, I mean, hip injuries are, are the real deal. You know, so yeah. many players end up having a hip replacement surgery and stuff later on in life. So I can understand him, you know, needing to kind of reassess if it's, if it's a severe injury again. And, and, and we talked about it before uh, the podcast. I think he's had the surgery before, had surgery on that hip before, but man, it's just it's just weird. These things always seem to come at, come up at the weirdest times with him. It, it's not just that he alienates people; it's the timing of it. It seems like you know mm-hmm. you win a Super yeah. Bowl and then you alienate your teammates. <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> like seriously, you got a bunch of money. They paid you all this money after you alienated all these folks in Minnesota, even though you were playing well and, and probably would have been a god there. If you just stayed there and kept playing well, alienated them, come to Seattle, they pay you all this money, win a Super Bowl, and then you alienate everybody again. Excuse me. So it's just the timing of these things, as much as anything, seems to be the weirdest things of all. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm just looking at just to the injury history part of it is – they used the. He- I'm just looking at his stats now. I mean, they used the heck out of him in Minnesota those first four seasons with the Vikings because he was. I mean, he was. He was. He did. He he ran as a running back. I mean, he had 52 attempts in 2011, on top of you know 100 plus targets as a receiver that year. And then you could throw in his kick return work he did too. Yep, he's an all around weapon. Yeah, and I think that, you know, but at the same time, it's like, well, he's 5'11", and that, you know, 200 pounds is his official weight, so you've got to figure he's probably a little less than that, and, you know, that that's going to take a toll. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But then, like you said, too, and then, like, you know, there's the locker room aspect of it, too. It's like, well, you know, you had the, the kick return in the Super Bowl there, and then all of a sudden you're public enemy number one, you know? <laughs> well, there was rumors or reports or whatever that he like got in fights with uh doug baldwin and and uh golden tate like the week before the super bowl yeah <laughs> it's like there's something going on there you know when when you're well, in you know, the Bowl. oh they, they, there's plenty of stories about fights and him back in florida when he was in college so <clears throat> I'm pretty sure those are more than rumors. <laughs> and I think he did kind of confirm the fight with uh, Doug Baldwin. Yeah. Uh, as yep. Yep. A- angry Doug. So, so yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively confident that, that those are more than just rumors. <laughs> but who knows why? That, that's the thing about it. Like, really and truly, I don't get how he could have made this many uh, 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 enemies or, or just uh you know got this many on this many people's bad side yeah and nobody ever kind of put them to the side and said well man maybe it's you yeah <laughs> yeah like because this whole thing this preseason when he was trying to rehab his image was it wasn't him at all like he he 
totally he talked to the coaches, asked the coaches to intervene. Nobody would intervene. So he had to bust this guy in the mouth, basically. Mm-hmm. Was the vibe I got from from reading him this preseason. But it's just like I said, I mean, you alienated that many people. Nobody close to you ever said, man, maybe it's you. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, everybody knows people like that. You know, sometimes people just have such a big chip on their shoulder. There's nothing you can do to knock it off. Right. There's just right. nothing you can do in the world to have somebody talk some sense into you. Maybe every now, maybe now and then somebody can, you know, sock you in the jaw and take care of it that way. But what, what we'd heard when, he, when John Schneider and Pete Carroll traded for him, based on kind of the account, and I think actually Carroll said this, like, um, Carroll basically convinced Schneider that he could get to him, that he could make it work, you know, like, cause Carroll, you know, he's, he's kind of like a guru in terms of with, with managing different personalities. He's always had big personalities on his team and going back even to USC. Um, and so he's got a lot of experience with that. Plus he believes in his, like, you know, the whole program and the psychological side of everything. And, and he told John Schneider that he could make it work. And I think after the trade, Carol actually went on record and said, like, I told John, I apologize to John because I, I didn't get it done. Like, I couldn't do it like, with, with Harvin. Like, I just couldn't get to him. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with the injury stuff. Like, the Seahawks wanted him to play, and he didn't want to play. And then they, he lost trust in the Seahawks front office. And then from there, it was just like, it's, it, it got worse. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the story from the Seahawks' point of view. Um, obviously, there were issues in, in Minnesota with him and, and Childress. And then, you know, it just kind of goes back to all the way back into high school and stuff like that. So it's, it's yeah, I think the chip on the shoulder thing is, is right. Well, who knows? I, you know, it's a, we'll have to leave it to first take to solve that part of the big play issue there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk real quickly. Uh, the uh, the Dallas Cowboys made a quarterback change for this ahead of this week's game with the Giants. The NF the exciting NFC East. <laughs> does I want to just ask real quick? Does does Matt Castle give them a better chance to to beat the Giants this this week? Well, he couldn't do any worse. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, <laughs> that is seriously the upside to this, is that he couldn't do any worse. <laughs> uh, Brandon Whedon was not the answer. He, 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 when your offense is stuck in neutral, then it, it, you got to do something to try to, to give it a spark. And when, it's, when, it's, when your quarterback won't take shots down the field, and you can't get the running game going, then the easiest way to, to provide a spark, especially if it's a quarterback you haven't invested a lot in, yeah, uh, <coughs> Alex Smith, is <coughs> uh, <laughs> you make a change of quarterback. Now, is Matt Castle going to set the world on fire? I, I don't think so. But at the very least, opposing defense coordinators now have to try to figure him out and, and figure out what they're going to do with him, whereas the book was out on Brandon Whedon. You know, you basically just play for the sticks. He's not going to throw it much further than 10 yards down the field more than once a game. Yeah. You know, and, and only then if a guy's just wide ass open. And he still might be <laughs> he still might be off target in that case. And so <laughs> it, you don't have to defend any further than basically the, the 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 middle of the field. I mean, you make it too easy on the defense. Yeah. And so you know, you go with Matt Castle, he's probably not going to set the world on fire, but he at least now makes defense coordinators have to wonder if he at least might throw the ball down the field, and you have to—they have to play honest now. But they weren't playing honest with with um, Brandon Whedon anymore. They were playing to his weaknesses. They they were going to force him to throw it deep, cover the short stuff, and play the run. Yeah, and that's pretty much what everybody's doing to the Chiefs as well. But they've invested too much money in Alex Smith to turn away from him. The, the 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 Cowboys don't have a lot of money in Brandon Whedon, so they had to go ahead and make this change. Yeah, does this? I mean, you think the Cowboys? I'm, now there was the chance that Des Bryant could come back this week, but I, I think it's pretty remote. He wasn't even practicing yesterday on Wednesday, and the the one that was saying that he had a chance to play this week was the infamous Dr. Jerry Jones. So you never, <laughs> you know, you never want to put too much stock in his medical opinions. 
So I don't think they'll have Dez back this week. But, you know, you, you saw it with Whedon last year. Dez didn't make a damn bit of difference because Whedon couldn't hit him. He won't throw it, yeah. So, you know, I guess the Castle thing doesn't hurt. Who's going to win the NFC East? <laughs> Last man standing. I, it's kind of getting to that point. Now, Romo can't come back until – I mean, I think if Romo could come back before week 11, it would be easier to pick the Cowboys. Well, they're, they're definitely getting stronger. They're definitely one of – you know, they, they, they got Greg Hardy now. He's playing. He had like yeah. two or three sacks. I think well, two sacks against, against the, the Patriots. The Patriots. Um, they got uh, the rookie. He's coming off an injury as well. Uh, the rookie uh, defensive end, uh, Randy Gregory. Mm-hmm. And, and then if you get Dez and, 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 and Romo back. See, here's the thing. In the interim, the NFC East will still be knocking each other off. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? Any, any one of those teams can beat each other on any given night. You, you couldn't have. You could not have convinced me that the Giants were going to lose to the Eagles this past week. Right. When I think, and, and it was a shitty game, but they, they got their asses kicked uh, by the end of the game, if you look at the scoreboard. So um, there's still an outside chance that, look, if they come back and nobody's really run away with the race, then I think the Cowboys will be getting strong at the right time. Yeah. You get Darius back, you get – uh, uh, Romo back, you still need to figure out your running back situation. And, you know, it looks like they're going to turn to uh, to uh, Danny's boy, uh, Christian Michael. Christian <laughs> Michael, C. Mike. And <laughs> yeah. um, but I do think, I think defensively they're getting stronger. They got uh, the middle linebacker back now. Uh, um, I think that they still have an outside chance of winning their division because the division is just so terrible. Yeah. Well, and I was looking at their schedule, and this is an interesting, because they got the Giants this week, like we said, and that's a coin toss at this point. <laughs> They're in New York. I mean, I don't know that anything, I mean, the Giants, are the, they always kind of out-giant themselves from every now and then, it seems like. And then they get the Seahawks at home next week. So not an easy game. And then it's the Eagles at home in Dallas the week after that. So again, sort of an either-or proposition. And then it's the Buccaneers on the road and the Dolphins on the road. And that takes you to week 12, their Thanksgiving game, which could be, now tell me how well this sets up. Thanksgiving game could be Romo's first game back, and it's against the Panthers. Mm. So, then and then it's Washington. Then they get Washington, which is a nice bounce back. Then it's the Packers, which is tough. Then it's the Jets, tough. Bills, and then Washington again to end the season. So I think you're right. I mean, it could really be last man standing. And there's there's no reason to bet against Dallas not winning the division at this point. That's crazy. And I think the Eagles, I mean, you know, the Eagles, I don't know what to make of the Eagles. I mean, I guess their defense has been really impressive. I will say that. And that defensive front, you wrote about Fletcher Cox a couple weeks ago, Stephen, and, and you saw that. You saw what a difference he made again last week against the Giants in that game, too. Man, I don't think, you know, without Fletcher yep. Cox and that defensive line, I don't know who would have won that game. I don't know if anyone would have watched the whole damn thing. I know I wouldn't have. <laughs> I'd have gone to sleep. I mean, that was just ter- that was a terrible football game, man. I'm going to tell you how it, it was so bad, I wasn't even sure who was leading, and the Eagles were actually kind of, you know, like I said, on the scoreboard, were kind of pulling away. But you couldn't have told me who was winning the game because they both were playing so bad. Yeah. Well, now the Eagles this week may not have Riley Cooper or Nelson Algor. Not that Algor's made a huge difference, but Riley Cooper. I have this theory that for some reason Sam Bradford, and maybe this tells you sort of the level of play that you can expect from Sam Bradford, he only thrives when he has a white receiver to throw to. Whether it's Danny, Amand- <laughs> Danny Amendola in St. Louis, he was good with Danny Amendola. And now he's kind of he's playing a little better the last couple weeks, and it's because he's got Zach Ertz and Riley Cooper. So if Riley Cooper's out this week, you could probably bury the Eagles, I guess, given Sam Bradford's weird racial profiling on the uh, as a quarterback there. But I ain't touching that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I was going to say we should break it down, but nah, maybe not. Get PFT on here. We can do that. I mean, that's the PFT. That'll be the PFT commenter stats project one week, baby. <laughs> the, gritty, the gritty Sam Bradford passing offense. Sneaky athletic. <laughs> um, 
I uh, we talked about Dan Campbell a little bit on the show last week, and sure enough, he went oh. out and got a big win against the Titans. Uh, they may have injured Marcus Mariota, but uh, the Oklahoma drills apparently paid off, and <laughs> and he's back again. He had everybody wearing black jerseys at practice today. We're still waiting to kind of see, and maybe somebody's tweeted out an explanation. I don't know, but I. <laughs> was just when I saw the black jerseys thing, I thought we can't be far away from you know maybe a machete at practice or something like that too. So keep chopping wood in Miami. I love the tweet too. It was like no one knows why. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's wearing black jerseys. No one knows why. It just looks super cool, man. <laughs> well, the only thing I can think is some you know sort of that good guys don't wear good guys wear black or whatever you know that old Western mythology stuff. So I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, I, I wouldn't. I'm not too high on the Dolphins, despite a, a, a win over the Titans. I know, right? But listen, that was a that was way more the Titans being stupid as hell Again. than all of a sudden the Dolphins being this great new re-energized team. I, I honestly feel like the Titans were a lot more physical than the Dolphins in that game. Just to be honest with you, you look at the big hits yeah. that they were putting on people, you look at their defense on the line was pretty dominant. The problem is the Titans went into the game figuring their rookie third-round right tackle could handle Cameron Wake by himself. <laughs> and as Pernell McPhee said when, when they asked uh, uh, why uh, – uh, uh, the 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 Lions stopped chipping him, and he got a sack at the end of the game. Them not chipping Cameron Wake, fucking mistake. Yeah. Okay, they didn't, chip, they didn't chip that dude the whole game. Even the end of the game, when uh, they finally pulled Mariota out and put Mettenberg in, the, the they had to replace the right tackle by that time. Jamar Meadows comes in and he gets a holding penalty. Why? Because they still aren't chipping Cameron Wake. On the last fucking drive of the whole game. This is after he got four sacks in the first half. <laughs> and he's still not How fucking stupid do you have to be? Like, what are the fucking requirements to be an offensive coach for the Tennessee Titans? Because it's obviously a low bar. I figure <laughs> any high school coach should put in for a job there because they're obviously hiring any fucking body who comes in off the street. How can you be that fucking stupid and blind? that you actually bench your rookie right tackle, put another guy in who couldn't play here in Tampa Bay. <laughs> you still don't fucking chip for him. I'm, it's just somebody <laughs> should got fired at the end of last week. Well, at the end of that game. It's, and it's, it's, it's a disease there, too, because think about this. It's like, okay, you had that terrible, terrible two-point conversion they tried a few weeks oh, yeah. ago. And then... <laughs> Shit, what was the other one they did the other stupid day, Steven? The stupid-ass defense where they give up That's right. a third and fucking 23 at the end of the game when they're up and should have won. A third and 23 to a quarterback scramble, mind you, because nobody's in the fucking middle of the field after Tyrod Taylor just busted off two 20-plus-yard runs. The previous <laughs> drive when they, when they finally when, – when the Bills finally scored at all. And, and then you go out there – I mean, and look, not chipping – Cameron Wake is one thing. Then you leave your rookie number two picking the draft in there, and he's dragging his leg all over the fucking place so that he can get better for the rest of the game. I mean, a lot of people don't watch the game, so they don't even realize that after Olivier Vernon hurt him with the first personal foul penalty, he came back and hit him in the legs again later on in the game. Why? Because he couldn't move out the way. Yeah. But the Titans, the number two pick after, after all we saw with RG3, when Mike Shanahan left him out there and hung him out to dry, uh, you know, limping around, these dumb assholes in Tennessee decided they would do the same thing with the number two, with another number two pick in the draft, and it almost turned out just as disastrously. They need to be fucking fired yesterday, everybody. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny, too, because, like, that was – I went to the Titans site the other day, our Titans net blog in the network, and, like, that was, like, fire everybody. It was like the headline on it. I'm like, yeah, I can see why they're feeling that way. Yeah. After weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of this shit. And what kills me is like you people like, well, Ken Wisenhut, he's a good he's a good offensive coach. He'll be he'll get it 
put together in there. It's like, well, your good offensive coach called uh, called this on um, for a two point conversion. <laughs> so and left his quarterback in with this and didn't chip, and it's just you know. Everything's and this and, and and back to the original point because we were talking about the Dolphins. Really, this is the ultimate plus minus game, okay? Because the Dolphins quiet as kept, other than Cameron Wake and 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 the receiver uh, from LSU. Everybody else still played pretty much the same way as they've been playing. You didn't yeah. see in Kung Su all of a sudden making a whole bunch of plays. He was still getting his ass kicked. Chance Warmack put them fucking shackles on him for the whole game. Turn on the film and watch it. He wasn't sniffing the quarterback. The one time he got close to the quarterback, he had to swim the wrong side of the center, and he got there after Cameron Wake got there. But as far as trying to beat Chance Warmack, had his ass in shackles. So don't tell me about Oklahoma drill and all this shit working. They just played a shitty team <laughs> with a shitty coaching staff. They're going to get their ass kicked the rest of the season. Because you still had... Chain Hill turned the ball over for no fucking reason. Throwing, I mean, just was fucking awful at time. Uh, one of the interceptions, he threw it right behind Jordan Cameron. I could have made that fucking throw. It was basically <laughs> a five-yard handoff. He threw, throws it behind him in an interception for no reason at all. They're like in the red zone. So don't tell me they fixed everything. You got the Titans who don't know how to, can't figure out how to play a read option cutback, which everybody runs these days. <laughs> and so it's not like it's knocked off the ball. You just had one guy that didn't take the running back. Everybody's trying to take the quarterback. <laughs> this is the shit that I'm seeing on the field. Ain't nobody getting knocked off the ball. Hell, I saw, man, look, you, you want to see some comedy? Tennessee's defensive line was knocking the shit out of Miami Dolphins' offensive line all game long, basically. They could not handle Jarrell Casey at all. It, the only reason why Jarrell Casey didn't have four sacks like Cameron Wake is because somebody was at least smart enough on the Dolphins coaching staff to say, look, we're not going to let this one guy beat us. And so they had the running back chipping on Jarrell Casey, a defensive tackle. Yeah. And they needed him to beating their guards like they stole something from him all game. So, yeah. no, the Miami Dolphins haven't had some kind of miraculous turnaround <laughs> with, with, with you know, the new coach. The Dan Oklahoma Mr. drills. Campbell. They just played a shitty team with a shitty coaching staff, and they're going to have a rude awakening if they had the same kind of effort against a decent team with a de- decent coaching staff. Well, they've got Houston this week, which is a pretty terrible team, too. But I, I mean, Houston, Houston the can beat them. But the, the real wake-up call will be next week. Week 8, they have a Thursday night game in New England. I think that just looks like a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, that could be a 50-point effort from the Patriots there. You know what I mean? I think Houston's going to kick the shit out of them this week. <laughs> they just might, man. And to lose to Brian Hoyer or Ryan Mount, whoever Bill O'Brien decides to roll out for his quarterback this week, we'll see. But, man, if J.J. Watt, you know, J.J. Watt was sick last week in that game, in Houston's game, so he probably wasn't at 100%. But you put him out there all of a sudden with Tannehill making mistakes like that, and it could uh you, Oklahoma drills and black jerseys might not be enough. You may have to get the machete out next week. You're going to need something. You're going to need something. I you got Aaron Fox stronger. You got a whole bunch of reasons to believe that Houston is actually getting better, even though their record might not show it just yet. But they're playing better. You got Nuck Hopkins is coming on strong. Yeah. Leading the league in every receiving category you can think of. Even with Brian Hoyer and, and Ryan Mallett as his quarterback. Yeah. So, yeah, things are on the upswing for them. And I'm just telling you that uh, they're not, they haven't performed well, but I don't think they're a stupid team. And I don't think they have a stupid coaching staff. I think the players just haven't executed well yeah. at times. And so I think Houston has a good chance of showing everybody that, you know, that this, this was all a mirage last week against the Titans. Yeah. Well, it's funny in the, in the midst of that, you brought up Alex Smith, and I just like I don't even know, man. I mean, woof, he's terrible. But they can't really. What can the Chiefs do because they're kind of stuck with him? <laughs> I mean, they spent big money on this guy for five yards, you know, five yards per attempt. If it's even that, I don't know. And now they're just, you know, you don't have Jamal Charles. They're one and five. I don't think anybody <clears throat> expected that from the Chiefs. No. Not it's going to be interesting 
to see what happens with uh, Andy Reid there, if anything. Do you think uh, he's in the hot seat? I can't imagine after the last two seasons he's had there. Right. But, uh, you know, people are, would be right to start questioning his, uh, you know, their approach they're taking if he just, you know, because not only is Alex Smith bad, you see, these, you see the offense, it's like, what are you doing? I mean, I guess a lot of that is determined by the fact that Alex Smith has a hard time throwing it beyond the sticks. But at what point do you just have to say, I mean, listen, we can't, you can't win games like this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't care who you are. At some point, you can get your ass sat down if you're playing bad enough. Yeah. Because if you're a coach, it's going to come down. It might come down to you or your starting quarterback. And most coaches want to continue to get that check. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, we had the, the Tecmo Bowl recreation of that coach play the other day, right? The 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 the, the bad uh, uh, fake punt or whatever and it got me thinking as i'm watching the chiefs play on offense i swear to god every play seems like it's the all curls route on the old tecmo bowl that the giants used to throw to mark bavaro yeah anybody who ever played tecmo bowls and remember that play it's just all curls everybody run curls that seems like what you're watching on the chiefs every damn play never a shot down the field never you know long route combinations just everybody running five ten yard routes you can't fucking win that way. You cannot. And like I said, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Chase Daniel cannot be any worse than that. He absolutely cannot. And I've seen him play when he's been pressed into action because Alex Smith was hurt. He's played and has shown that he will take shots down on the field. If you don't like him, give the young kid Aaron Murray a try. Somebody has got to be better than this. You just, I just refuse to believe that, that, that this is the only thing they can do because it's not going to get any better. He's not going to – Alex Smith is not all of a sudden going to start taking shots down the field. Even with Jeremy Macklin, he's got to be – Jeremy Macklin has to be pissed off <laughs> because supposedly he was the missing element. Finally somebody yeah. who could, you know, take the top off the defense. Little did he know that all he was going to be doing was running a track meet every week. Oh, yeah, you, you, you can run a deep route, but you ain't going to see the ball – so, and I, they're you know, so much I mean, worse this season. On. I thought that they had a chance to challenge the Broncos for that division. And even though the Broncos are 6-0 and and they won close games, I still think they should be in the running. Now, Jamal Charles is out, and, and that's a huge blow. But if you got a competent quarterback, and you got Kelsey at, at tight end, and yeah. Jeremy Macklin at wide receiver, you should not be losing like this. Their no. defense is still playing pretty damn well. And, yeah, and, and to be stuck out there on the field every, as much as they are, too. Oh, man. Because, look, they, now they're not throwing the ball. They're just showing up, throwing all these five-yard passes, and half of them are off the mark. So their games are long as hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, man, it's, it's, it's three and out, but it's only a minute has come off the clock anyway because you're not running the ball. So uh, it, it, there's a lot going on with Kansas City. But to me, the biggest problem – by far, is the quarterback. And at some point, as a head coach, you have to do something about it. I don't care how much money you just gave him. I think what was I think it was last week or maybe the week before. I don't remember. It was one recent Chiefs game um, because our gift guy that does our gifts and some other st- stuff for us is a huge Chiefs fan. And so, you know, it's always fun to commiserate with him in Slack during the games on Sunday. But <laughs> so, Clay was, so Clay watched this. And, like, the Chiefs had two three-and-outs in no shit. I think the defense got a turnover is what happened. Uh, the, the defense made a huge mistake in getting a turnover because all it did was it gave the offense a chance. That they, went, they had two three and outs in less than a minute, less than a minute of actual clock time. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's got to be something. I mean, I don't know that that's a record, but that's, it's pretty amazing nonetheless. <laughs> if you think about a defense that actually just hurts itself by getting a turnover because they have to be out there on the field again. In 30 seconds, you know what I mean? Oh, listen, I, I can give you some perspective on that because I played down here with Trent Dilfer. <laughs> when Trent Dilfer damn bad, okay? So, yeah, I can tell you firsthand, that shit is demoralizing. You, you, he's like, I just got off the field. I just got this cup of Gatorade. <laughs> Haven't even talked to my coach yet, and I got to go back out there? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> and so, I mean, you, you, what can you do, though? <laughs> you can't really do anything, so go choke the quarterback out, and then that's going to get you in trouble. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I mean, seriously, you, you're just stuck. There's nothing you can do. Literally, you can do all the motivational speeches on the sideline and throwing stuff. It's not going to change something because Alex Smith is still your quarterback at the end of the day. It's a damn shame because that's a hell of a defense they've got, too. I mean, there's some real real talent in that group. Yeah. I, but here uh, we are. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if those coaching staffers aren't beef, beefing, too. Like the offensive and defensive coaching staff. Yeah. In, in situations like that, at some point, the defense court ain't going to look over like Buddy Ryan like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Take the swing. Who that version of Kevin Gilbride will be, but somebody going to catch one on the chin if we keep up. <laughs> well, Doug Peterson's their offensive coordinator. I don't really know just a ton about him, but Brad Childress is their spread game analyst. Brad Childress. Like spread out all over the field. Oh, good deal. Oh, he was a Reed. He's a Reed guy going back to the Philadelphia. Obvious, of course. The meritocracy. Someone's going to throw a weight at his head. That's what <laughs> she bell. First off. <laughs> Well, uh, gents, we're coming up on, uh, we're a little bit over the hour mark, so we should uh, probably let everybody get on with their day and get stuff done, and we got this big game tonight we got to get psyched up for. Oh, yeah. Huge. Huge. <laughs> I guess we'll save the, uh, we'll see how uh, Pey- Peyton and the Broncos do this week, and then we can get into our, uh, we can have a first take on benching Peyton Manning next week on the show. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> So bring your takes. Get your takes fired up and ready. Get them ready. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been a good one, and uh, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you around, and have a good week. I'm good. Great. Right.